Welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and I hope you're well wherever you are in the world listening to this. I'd like to introduce Hunter J, who is the CEO and co-founder of Ripe Robotics. Hunter, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about your, your story. You've got a bachelor degrees in computer science. How on earth did you end up uh, being the co-founder and CEO of Ripe Robotics? I suppose after, I actually started a, a, another company several years ago when I was still in, in uni. And this was a, a company, we, we, did mobile, we did mobile games. And the goal of the, of the company, even though we we're doing mobile games, um, so when that company failed and I went back to, back to uni to finish off my degree, I was sort of thinking the whole time, okay, if, I was gonna do an, if we were going to do another company, how could we avoid the, the pitfalls that the first one fell into? And the, some of the problems we had were, okay, so the tech went great we built an app and it was good and it got promoted and people uh, it, it was good when you played it but the problem was getting enough people to to use it so even though we got up to like ten thousand users which i thought that's amazing that's brilliant it wasn't actually sustainable or making enough money to to keep itself going uh, from it so one key thing for a future company still with the same goal of uh, of making sure that ai stays stays aligned in the future um is the technology It'd be much funner if the technology was the hard bit rather than the demand, you know. And then also one of the mistakes was I learned a lot about making apps and about doing uh, mobile, like mobile games and all of the the digital and like uh, sorry digital modeling and stuff like that. But not a lot in um, AI or, or algorithms or other things I found interesting, like robotics. Was okay. So next, if we're going to do another company, we've got to pick something that's even if the company fails, at least we'll have learned. I'll have learned a lot in fields that I'm interested in and fields that will be relevant to, to future work. Uh, so it's got to be something related to, to AI would be, would be good as a, as a company. And then it's okay, we're going to do something which we're starting in Australia. So what makes sense to, to do in Australia rather than in Silicon Valley or in London or one of the other big AI hubs uh, in the world? And that sort of narrows you down to like transport, mining or agriculture. So I had this big, big search about, okay, what could a potential future company be with the long-term goal of making sure that AI is still uh, is used properly and is developed in a, in a way that doesn't harm people and that satisfies all these heuristics about being good in Australia, relevant to AI, even if we failed, and where technology is going to be the big problem. So I did like a massive search across lots of different, lots of different industries to try and find out uh, what a good area to, to jump into would be. Um, and at the end of that search, we came down to uh, fruit picking. The reason like fruit picking is so is such a good space to, to get into uh, is because, I mean, if you sort of think about the, in the industrial revolution, they changed a whole bunch of really manual work on, on farms to mechanized work. Like you have many, many people uh, with those little cysts, I can't, I can't even pronounce it, but picking wheat, scythes, uh, to one being combine harvester, but that didn't happen in, in fruit. People still climb up ladders and one at a time pick the fruit. Um, and the reason was is you can't it, you can't damage the tree and you can't damage the fruit. It's very delicate, so you need something that sort of knows exactly where the fruit is and can tell if it's ripe and able to be picked or not ripe and leave it on the tree for a little bit longer. Um, and that wasn't possible to do until like five or ten years ago when computer vision got good enough for that. So there's this massive problem that's now solved because of advances in computer vision, which there's no big company uh, doing it. Actually, 
introducing the, the technology to fruit picking. And then if you can solve fruit picking, it gives you a wonderful sort of area to expand. You can pick different types of fruit. You can do off-season tasks like pruning and thinning and spraying and uh, identifying disease and damage on the trees. There's like a whole massive funnel here from this narrow thing to full automation of, of agriculture. It seemed really, you know, a really good time to, to do it. So I started a company to do that. That's the, that's the story there. Listen, you've touched on so many things. I'm fascinated by your, I didn't actually know that you had a previous startup and you're very, very blase about, you know, that failed. Most people, you know, like there comes a point when you do a startup where you go, listen, we need to pull the plug. We're bleeding money and it's a very difficult time. Was it a quick decision for you to go, listen, this is not working? Oh, no, it took a, it took a little while. It was, yeah. um, we, after we launched, so it was a mobile game and we launched and we got featured on the, on the app store. Um, and then that led to like a big spike in people using it. Um, and then after we went and stopped the feature, the spike went down and then gradually sort of declined very slowly. And we're trying all these things to try and get more people uh, using it. And none of them were anywhere near as many, as much attention as we got when we were, when we were featured on the store. Um, so eventually we realized, okay, we're bleeding players slowly. What's I saying? It's, oh yeah, I was working on a big, big single player feature because yeah. multiple I was doing the big single player campaign. I was about halfway through doing that. And then I was hitting some, some problem with, with building it. Uh, and I kind of thought, well, is this actually going to bring in more players to the game to use it? And the answer was no, probably not. And then after one last big brainstorm, okay, what else can we do that we haven't tried to bring in more players? We tried lots and lots of things. Yeah, that makes it a little bit easier, you know, when you've got other people invested in your company. But having said that, when you've got other people, they're already breathing down your neck to go, hey, what are you doing? So, so back to Ripe. How did you get the company's name and what exactly do you do? Well, we're working on automating, we're working on automating agriculture uh, and we're starting that with fruit picking basically get fruit off the trees uh, at the perfect time without damaging any of the fruit and into into bins for for sale at uh at like industrial scale um and right now that's done entirely entirely manually and then we're planning to expand from just picking fruit right now we do plums apples and trying to do oranges too uh to doing other tasks on, on orchards to to bring more automation to the whole uh agricultural industry um, the name was, uh, I'm not sure where the name came from. We sort of just brainstormed a lot of different. A lot of different... Well, it, it, it sounds very apt. Ripe is very apt because it's, it's right. a stimulation of having the finesse to get off this fruit that's that's ripe because that's when you're picking it and you don't want to damage it in any way. So like, yeah. it sounds very appropriate to me. Well, we'll get to that. So you're based in Shepparton in Victoria, um, regional Victoria, which doesn't really strike me as a place where robots will be found. Why are you based there? Oh, we're based uh, on the, uh, like, Shepparton's one of the biggest uh, apple uh, and stone fruit growing regions in Australia. Okay. Um, so we actually didn't, didn't start here. We moved, we moved down here because of that. Okay. Um, and I think it's important to actually be, like, I'm, I live and where this, this shed is on one of the, the orchard of one of our customers um, because I think it's super important to actually be really close to the, uh, well, to, to what you're trying to do, you know, before, for the first year or so, mainly when we're part-time, we're still living and working in Sydney and trying to build these robots and then we'd have to take them out for trips every couple of months. And we learn a ton from taking them out, but it'd be, man, that'd be a lot quicker if we could just walk out and see the trees or walk out and talk to the pickers or the farmers and actually just anytime we had a question, ask uh, or 
go and play around ourselves. So like being close to where stuff is happening, I think is super important to, especially in the development, in the development phase. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. So you mentioned just before we started recording that you actually, uh, some of your team are flying in and out of Sydney on a two weekly basis. Like uh, what are your challenges around that? Yeah, so we, um, when we started hiring more engineers and trying to scale up, uh, we didn't want to limit it to only having engineers that were already living in Shepparton or were willing to relocate to Shepparton permanently. You kind of want to have the largest pool of people uh, that you can. Um, so we've got a kind of interesting structure for the way we, we manage the, the work inside the company. We have these uh, eight-week cycles um, and everyone has separate projects that they work on during those eight weeks. Uh, and they do six of those weeks remotely uh, so we, we're fully remote for most of the time and we've got all the remote infrastructure set up inside the company to manage the projects and talk to each other all the time uh, and operate like a fully remote company. Um, and then we have two-week uh, intensives where we uh, bring everyone from wherever they are uh, down to the Shepparton facility um, and they can integrate all their work together. Uh, so we'll work out, you know, how what one person's working on and how that integrates with the rest of the machine. Uh, if they have anything that they weren't able to test or ask through me being on the orchard, then they can come down and do it themselves. Uh, we go fruit picking and they get and they meet all the farmers. And we also work out what, what the next set of projects should be and do any any sort of in-person big discussions that we need to do. Listen, um, I love it. I think it's a brilliant concept. Now, was this born out of COVID or was this just something you did before COVID anyway? Um, well, we didn't hire people near my co-founder. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is a new thing, new thing for us, yeah. Yeah. And how how's the team adapting? Do they like this way of working? I think it's going pretty well. The, the work we're doing is definitely uh, is definitely good. Like we're getting a lot of a lot of work done. Um, the engineers have a lot of a lot of independence over the work that they're that they're doing. The we're still iron, ironing ironing out some kinks, like um, trying to make the combination uh, like pleasant to 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 be in and uh, yeah. make sure we're not uh, wasting any of the time that we have down here. Yeah. Um, we're making we're making little improvements like working it's working really well i really like the uh really like the system you know i i was chatting to someone yesterday about you know the COVID thing and you know going back into the workplace and um they mentioned you know they um her husband had hired the company had hired 100 new people and he didn't know anyone there and it's oh wow yeah i know it's quite tricky because you know you actually you do actually have to get to know people because trust is built on when you're actually sitting across them, you're watching them, what they're saying, you know, like there's a lot of things that's built into the trust equation besides just the Zoom call. So, I mean, I, I think it's fascinating. I think going forward for companies with now everyone's working from home and it's sort of a given, I don't know. I think it will last a little while. And then I think as we go on, people will start sort of migrating back more and more to the workplace. I don't think we'll ever be full-time again, like, you know, where you have to go and sit in an office from nine to five. I think actually those days are over. But, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you're just saying that, you know, you have to you have to actually create the company's culture. And it, I imagine it would be quite – it's quite a challenge being mostly, um, you know, not everyone working on their own – in their own space. Yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the big things that – I guess I was worried about and why we've structured it in, in this really deliberate, fully remote, then fully on site and not sort of halfway in between is because I think if you have a, a trap that I suspect a lot of companies are going to fall into, this is just my guess, I don't know if this will actually happen or it's true, uh, is if you sort of have 
a 50% remote team and it's sort of random who's coming in on any particular, uh, any particular day. Uh, it's kind of like the worst of, of both worlds, you know? Um, like if you set up for fully remote, um, you can do that really well. Like we use uh, an app called Gather Town, which is essentially like an office. And then we have avatars that we walk around. We walk around inside the office. If we need to chat with someone, we walk our avatar over their desk and then they're there, yeah. you know, on their camera and we're like, hey, it's like we're in a we're like we're in an office and all of our um uh, all of our projects and tasks and uh, meeting notes and everything that you'd have as far as uh, structure goes is all based around being remote. Um, so we we can have that system work work very well. If we were sort of half in, like if we were an in person company that was letting people work remote, say four days a week or something, or it was kind of a little bit more random, I think you'd run into a lot more trouble with. Uh, people trying to communicate just to the people who are around them or naturally just communicating to people around yeah. them and whoever's remote missing out, you know? Uh, yeah, look, there's, there are a lot of nuances. Yeah. There are a lot of nuances to being in the same place geographically. Um, you must send me a link of the, the app that you're using so I can put it out to the listeners in case they want to use the same one. Yeah, look, I, I think as we go forward, more complexities are going to come out of it and people are going to go, these are issues we're finding and actually we do need to have structured days when teams are actually, everyone is there and not just like ad hoc basis, but of course, you know, COVID's and I want to say it's a known, but it's very much an unknown still and, you know, we sort of, tracking quite okay but who knows what can pop up tomorrow again yeah yeah no for sure um, yeah so in turn, i suppose isn't, isn't a isn't a good idea for safety you've got to do it move a bit you know it's well i i went to i went to visit someone yesterday and you know you had to do the whole thing on site testing and it's fine you know i accept it for what it is this is the way it's the new normal. Like, I don't even get phased about it. And they were very apologetic. And I said, don't worry about it. I, I'm not taking any. Like, this is this is just what we have to do. So, now, speaking now, you at your client's premises, is is RIPE a commercial entity as such now already? Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're a uh, PTY LTD uh, company in Australia. Okay. All right. So, who who are your clients? Have you, are you based on one orchard there and... That's your main client, or are you sort of moving around? We move around a little bit. So we're still in development. Um, essentially, uh, we have a, a few growers, uh, three growers who signed. Um, uh, we, we've got contracts with them, but they're sort of more, we will trial on your orchard. We'll try to pick some fruit. If we pick fruit, you'll pay us the same rate that you pay, you pay human pickers for the, for the bin of fruit. Uh, if we can't pick any fruit because the machine's not working, then we have the option hopefully we'll be able to extend this agreement for the next year and we'll try to pick fruit with you uh, in the following season um so that that's sort of just like the reason we're doing it like that we're, we're trying this season to pick a pick a full bin of fruit um and each bin is only worth you know 40 or 50 dollars to us at the moment um and it's going to be a massive effort it's going to cost us way more than that to get this first bin of fruit picked by the by the machine or the first full bin um but it's it's important to us to to actually do that and get paid the, the 40 or 50 dollars for for it so yeah. that we know we're actually doing it you know yeah, yeah. if the if we go out there and we're, we're picking sort of small amounts of fruit each day like we've been doing it's sort of hard to tell is this going to commercialize are we at the quality they want are the growers really getting what they what they want are there a whole bunch of nuances that we missed that we'd only realize if we pick a full bin like where does the bin have to be put down uh does the fruit inside the bin jostle in a way that's going to damage it? 
there could be lots of unknowns here that you want to actually do the whole process of taking the robot to a commercial farm, picking an entire bin of fruit, putting the bin down where the farmer wants the bin, and then doing that well enough that the farmer gives you the 50 bucks. And so even if it costs us $500 to do that the first time, it's yeah. still worth that learning. And the, the 50 bucks is kind of a symbolic of, okay, we've done everything that we need to do to, to, to get paid for this, and now we can work on making it more, more efficient. Uh, so when so when is your grow when's the grow season or the picking season that it's not a huge window uh well we've got a fairly a fairly good window because we try to pick different varieties of, of fruit it starts sort of mid to late december uh or even uh sort of early december with apricots uh peaches and uh, and plums um and now now there's some plums remaining and we're into into apples and starts of gala, and now there's Modi and Grannies getting getting picked, and in a, a month or two there'll be Pink Ladies, and then they'll finish up around May, uh, and we try to pick oranges after that. So all of those ones from December to May is in in Shepparton, and then uh, there aren't many oranges in Shepparton, but we can go up and test in in Cobram or further up in Griffith, where, where one of our trial partners is based, um, uh, or Mildura and that. Uh, and then they run from June till, you know, around November, December. So we, we kind of try to cover the whole year. All right. And how are you working in conjunction with pickers and robots at the moment? And what has the community in Shepparton's been response to these robots? Oh, people have been wonderful. Um, yeah. Like we we go and chat with growers and they're all super, super friendly, you know. Um, like we often ask Ask, hey, can we go out and take pictures on your on your orchard, or uh, can you uh, can we have a bit of a tour and you just tell us all about the different varieties? And everyone has different architectures that they have for the trees, yeah. like these and uh, uh, different versions of, of trellis or really big sort of vase trees. Um, and people all have their own different row spacings. They've all got different things, and they've all been wonderful. Like we can go out and chat with them, and they'll, they'll tell us. Um, uh, people in town have been been great too. Um, just yesterday, actually, a random uh, high school teacher uh, sort of reached out and said, hey, come talk to the uh, high school class. And I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. Um, so I went and chatted with this high school class, and that was, that was fun. That was good. Oh, <laughs> listen, I, I mean, anything to get the, word, yeah, get the word out there that, you know, robots, it's actually quite useful. And, I mean, especially if you consider COVID hard sits our pickers industry, because I think the whole industry nearly collapsed. They have, like, these deliberate sort of schemes to – to bring over backpackers and uh, fruit pickers from Pacific Islands and, um, and different places uh, because they really, really struggle to get enough, get enough people to, to do it. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a weird industry uh, in the way that they do the, the, the price for, that they pay the, the fruit pickers. Um, Cause you sort of picture most of the time that's like, it's a supply and demand trade-off, right? So if you're not getting enough fruit pickers, then they're going to have to raise, raise the price they pay them until you have enough people again. Um, but it seems to be, I don't know a lot about it, but it seems to be very, um, very controlled and sort of centralized the way they set the price. Like there's the, the group of uh, growers who argue for uh, a standard lower price. And then there's the government or unions, which argue for a higher price and they have like, a minimum daily amount as well as the amount you can pay per bin and it's, it's really it, it's like it, it doesn't operate as much like a free market system as you might as you might hope um they're kind of set prices you know um 
so it's yeah it's been kind of weird to, to think about that because i was wondering why okay if the if we're not getting enough fruit pickers why, why aren't we paying more for for fruit picking and i mean part of the reason is it has the fruit has to go through like several stages before it gets to the consumer so the consumer will pay you know however much for for an apple and then coles and woolies will set that price and then coles and woolies will say okay this is how much we're going to pay for fruit and if you don't sell at their price then you don't have any other options because you can't not produce the fruit you've already got the trees and everything there so there's a lot to be said for supporting your local greengrass or your local um, stall at the road and uh, these monopolies, these giant monopolies that, uh, you know, I often wonder, so what are we paying for a bag of apples, $3, and you've got typically 10 or 12 apples in it, you know, I, I shudder to think what these poor growers are making and yet we, we, we expect the fruit to be delivered. We want good quality fruit, but who's paying for all of this? Where's the money going? Yeah, no, for sure. It's um, it's uh, more decentralization, I suppose, would be, it would solve some of the, some of these problems. But it might not solve other others. Like um, sometimes you have a bumpy year and everyone's got a lot of fruit, and so the price goes down down a little bit. And other years the price goes higher, and it's kind of like you know, if you're doing a factory or something, you can control exactly how many uh, yeah. you think. But uh, yeah. it's a little bit less controllable in agriculture. Well, look, I suppose we're not here to solve the farmer's dilemma. We, we're solving some other problems for them. And <laughs> we'll I'm, sure them. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're more than capable of handling their own issues there. So tell us a little about your funding. You've just received match funding support from the Australian federal government for the commercialisation of autonomous fruit picking technology as part of the accelerating commercialisation scheme. So, like, what difference has this made to you? Oh, it's made a huge difference. We um, mm. for, for the first uh, roughly almost a year of the company, we spent, I think, $15,000 in, in total. Yeah. Um, that was the whole year, whole year of the project. And for the next year, I think we spent, it was a massive step up in the next year. We, we spent $100,000. And oh. so I was full-time that year and we built two robots with that and paid for the facility and paid for my salary out of that sort of $100,000, $120,000. Um, and now in the coming into the, the third year of the of the, the project, uh, we raised six hundred and ten thousand, and then we uh, applied for and, and, and got a government grant for another five hundred and seventy thousand. Um, so now that's like that's crazy. That's like ten times more than, uh, than what we've had in the past. So that, that this is going to this has let us hire four people full time now mm -hmm. in total, including including me, and we'll let us build three more versions of the of the machine, uh, plus the one we've already already got and uh pay for all of that development uh over the next uh, next year and a year and a bit from where we are now um, it's it's like a massive step up we added up the number of um like if you add up the number of work hours that were done in the first two years of the project up to we up to when we got that funding and the number of work hours we're going to do in the next year we've got like four times as much uh, effort and, and money is going in just in this next in the next 12 months that have gone in in the total amount that we've done uh, not quite up to this point up to the point a couple months ago um, yeah so we're, we're really we're really speeding along the last few months and that's going to continue and yes it's super exciting we're super uh, uh, grateful for the for the support from the, from the government there hopefully we can we can pay back then and listen more sustainable yeah. Speaking from experience, it's very, very difficult to raise money. So congratulations first up to you and your co-founder. You know, being a being a founder myself, is this company like very dear to you? I'm, I'm, I know what the answer is, but I'm asking you the question anyway, because 
to onboard for people now to work on your baby, I, I expect your onboarding process was very rigorous. Like this must be their baby as well. They have to like they have <laughs> to be committed to what they're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean Michael and uh, Michael and Tobin are new engineers, um, and then it was uh, Leo and me are the other two being being full time uh, now. Uh, they're, they're they're fantastic. We uh, had a two week sort of intensive together in, in the city. Uh, when we first uh, brought them on board, and then we brought them down to Shep for another for another two weeks of uh, basically here's all of the the problems, here's everything we're doing, here's the customers, here's how we pick fruit, and did this big big process, which which was kind of fun. Yeah, no, they've been fantastic, and uh, they definitely um, uh, seem to care about what we're doing, and they enjoy and like robots, and they're very smart. So it's really. Yeah. I really like the, the team we've got. Okay, um, some congratulations. I mean, in itself, that's already, you know, having having built a small dynamic team and I'm expecting you guys, you're agile, you learn quickly, you're on site so you can adjust where you need to. Fruit picking industry, once you've been at this say, another two years and you're really, you know, getting some wins on the board, how do you think this is going to affect the industry here in Australia and worldwide? Um, so how do I think the, 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 the work that the we're automation. doing? Yeah, the oh, yeah. automation yeah. is going to affect the industries. It's a good question. It's, it'll be a gradual change. In the long term, the, the aim really is to have a lot, a lot of the stuff that's done manually physically being automated, but also a lot of the stuff that's done by, by the growers from experience being automated as well. You know, stuff like how much spray uh, should we use of the different types at, at different times of the season, or when exactly should we start picking this particular uh, block or what what blocks uh, what, what architecture for orchards is best like how tall should we make the trees how wide should we make the rows what, what how, should, how should we put them on on different trellis uh a lot of that right now is done sort of by oh there's some there's some data in, in it, but a lot of it is experience and just uh, built up knowledge and intuition that the growers have um because there hasn't been big data in this sort of agriculture yet uh so if we're looking you know like 10 years into the future and you have lots of these machines running around and they've been running around for long enough that they can see these correlations you can have the machine uh know okay this block needs to be picked on this day uh, and that's going to be three days earlier than what it was last year because the weather changed in the past two weeks and in yeah. this way and then they can just go and do that without the grower having to having to say um or it can say okay we're getting uh, this block costs you this much to put in and costs you this much per year to, to manage and you're getting exactly this much fruit off it. Um, we found that this other farm on the other side of the planet where this person was doing a similar thing made this change and that got them a 10% improvement in yield or something. Uh, we could do that change here and have, because you have all these machines taking all these pictures uh, and getting all of this information all the time, eventually you should be able to work out really uh hard to discover correlations between you know how much spray is used how tall the trees yeah. need to get uh, exactly when you should pick the fruit uh, a lot of this stuff that's sort of data limited at, at the moment um, maybe even the machines can go around and uh, know that all right this time of year we're going to uh, prune this block this amount and it's going to know that because of how much fruit was grown on it in the previous few years yeah. uh, as well as all the info about you know right now you go and prune and you say okay just knock off all of the branches that kind of look like they need to be pruned. They're pointing up, they're not, or, or sorry, pointing uh, 
yeah, pointing up or pointing out, pointing down is good because it grows the fruit uh, down. Yeah. Pointing up grows wood um, more often. Uh, and then the, the pruners just kind of guess which ones they should do and they leave some of the some of the big ones if they think they're turning into a big, big branch. If you could have a machine do all of that eventually uh, and do it in a really consistent and um, increasingly better optimized way, it could change the whole, like you'd have big productivity gains as well as uh, massive reductions in like the, well, reductions in variation, reductions in cost and improvements in, in quality, hopefully. Um, it's a big, big project to try and automate all of uh, uh, all of this sort of agriculture. Yeah. yeah. So I, I guess an unintended consequence for you is you become a, a fruit expert. You can talk about trees and you can talk about uh, pink apples and Granny Smith apples. <laughs> I suppose a little bit. I know nothing compared with the with the farmers, but uh, I, know, I know more than people. Who <laughs> I suppose it's good enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and no, I'm sure, like, I, you can maybe hold your own a little bit there. So you're relatively young. Uh, do, you, do you have a mentor on your journey helping you? Have you been part of any startup programs? Uh, yeah, sure. No, there's lots of people I, I, uh, I learn from. One of the uh, key ones, I suppose, would be uh, uh, one of our uh, major investors uh, and our board member, Sarush. He's uh, very experienced in especially the, the management and business side of stuff. He's an engineer as well, but yeah. he's very good at the, the management and business side of stuff. So I've learned a ton from him uh, there. Also, he's had a lot of previous experience working for and uh, growing startups, um, which we're able to sort of lean on a lot, which has been fantastic. Um, he's probably the biggest uh, biggest mentor we've had. We also went through um, the Incubate program at USID, which is a, a startup accelerator, as well as Startmate. and met a whole other... A group of people through both of those uh, programs have been pretty pretty fantastic. Um, Mick is, is another one. Yeah, no, there's lots of been lots of great people. People have been so helpful, you know. Yeah, yeah, they want you to succeed, and you want good people in your corner helping you. I think it's important as a startup entrepreneur that you identify these people who've got your your interest at heart, and um, you know you can tap in and out when when you need help, and they happy, willing, generous, and supportive to do so. Yeah, no, I mean, people are people seem really, really great. They're very, they're, they're very nice. I don't think I've ever met anyone who is, well, I've never, most people are really wonderful. Just yeah. As a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, view in the world is, um, it's a good world. You know, I think it's got a lot to do with your personality and your outlook. So any advice for anyone thinking of starting their own company, maybe especially in robotics and, you know, based on, you've got quite a bit of experience. What's the advice, like the, place where it seems like people get caught up is they do something other than just you know building the the thing you know like it's great to to spend some time sort of thinking and work out what you need i suppose there's two two big two big mistakes that seems like people made and i've made both of them before one is not just like not building the thing uh they do something else they go and they're like okay i want to start this company that does x so i'm going to do this three-year university degree that does X, and then after that, I'll make a company. Or they're like, okay, I'm not really sure what, how, how to do this, so I'm going to try and find someone who knows how to do this and tell them the idea and try to convince them to do it, and I'll be the ideas person. They can build it. It's like those, when you're at the very start, those are, seem to be mistakes, I think. Um, like, just build, the, just build the thing. But then the other mistake that people on the opposite side make is... Um, continuing to build something for a really long time without actually testing it and testing it in like in the market 
you know, we made this mistake with Flag Wars when we, uh, uh, we built this big sort of multiplayer online game, uh, which had upgradable troops and movement, movement and every, everything. Well, what we should have done is uh, th th there would have been a, a, a narrower version of the game. Maybe we could have done a, a single player thing where you just play against an AI component to start with, or maybe we should have done it without the whole system of being able to choose and upgrade your troops. Just have, okay, here's your army, there's your army, then you fight, and then we build this other system later. Um, because until you actually put it out there, you don't know what's good and bad. Uh, you've got guesses, and your guesses are probably, like most of the time, they'll be right. It really changes things once you actually have something like in the field, so to speak, whether it's a literal field or, or, or on the market. Um, like you move to that as, as soon as you possibly can is, a, is, is very important. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. real-time experience. Yeah. <clears throat> actually, you're, actually, you're not just indulging in intellectual fantasy here and what you're doing. You're actually solving a problem with what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And people, I guess, are nervous about it. You know, they spend a long time working on something. They just want to keep working on it rather than because they sort of maybe think in the back of their minds that it won't, it won't succeed. And probably they're right. Most things don't succeed. So they just keep spending more and more time making it better and better and better so that when they put it out, it has a higher chance of succeeding. But yeah, yeah, there's a good point around that. We're not, yeah, we're not, we're not aiming for perfection. We're aiming for progress. Get it out there and start to, you know, start mm. adjusting as you go along. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Hunter, I'm mindful of time. Thank you so much. I feel that I need to have make a trip to Shepparton. I, I can see I'm going to drive up, then I'm going to come and see you, and I'm going to bring like a little video camera to actually do some footage. <laughs> I'm really fascinated by the work that you're doing. If anyone wants to reach out to you, what, where, what's the best place? LinkedIn, email address. Uh, yeah, contact me by, by, by LinkedIn sounds uh, sounds good. Um, it's just Hunter J on on LinkedIn. I'll oh, actually, I'll, I'll put a link. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, LinkedIn, LinkedIn, perfect. Yeah, it's been really nice catching up with you. I'm, I'm hoping next year when I do my Generate conference again that you'll bring all your tools and your toys down and, and be come down to Melbourne, but we'll talk about that at another time. So thanks very much. Uh, awesome. Thanks for having me. That's a great video. And to our audience out there today, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Reach out to Hunter, connect with him on LinkedIn and send him any questions that you may have. And I look forward to you joining me again on Let's Talk Robotics. Mm -hmm.